So today I am here with my friend Kelly and we're going to be talking about a ministry that's really important to both of us. So welcome, Kelly. Thank you. It is a delight to be here. Um, what we're talking about is called the Trauma Healing Institute. And Kelly is a master facilitator um, with the Trauma Healing Institute. So Kelly, tell us, what is trauma? That's a great question. A lot of us are scared of that word. Um, so I love the definition from the website, actually, that says trauma is a deep wound of the heart and mind that takes a long time to heal. It hurts every part of us, our relationships, our bodies, our thoughts, and our faith. Trauma separates us from the Lord and from those we love and often even from ourselves. Um, so even though we don't like the word trauma, many of us can can relate. Yes, and across the world, the word trauma, the experience of trauma is real in every culture and every place, but the word trauma can be off-putting. Yes. So often we use the word heart wounds for trauma. It seems to be a little bit more acceptable in certain circles. Okay. So tell us the story about how um, how all of this this method of helping people heal from the wounds of trauma came about. Sure. The curriculum was developed in the late 90s by missionaries and linguists who were working in Africa and began to realize, or actually pastors were asking for help. Many of their participants in their churches were, well, they just weren't okay. And they had experienced war, different things done against them in the midst of war. And the pastors thought if we just teach the scripture that that's, that's what we need to do, and hopefully they'll be okay. Well, they weren't okay. And so these individuals came together to develop a curriculum that would address trauma or heart wounds by engaging with Scripture and um, best practices of mental health. And they began to see that it really, really did help, that people began to be able to begin to connect re in relationship again. They made eye contact again. There were all kinds of benefits from participating in this process. So it was a conglomeration of people that wrote this. It was yes. a coming together of a lot of different types of people and people, it was cross organization and cross, um, I guess, vocation. Yes. Yes. Um, and so it, it started there. And what began to happen is others began to say, I think we could use this over here. And actually, the West was kind of last in line to recognize that we also could benefit from the material. So it was written where? In Congo. Okay, so it started from the continent of Africa. Yes. Which actually, as someone who, I'm also a master facilitator with the Trauma Healing Institute, um, and it you can tell in this curriculum that it was not originated in a Western culture, actually. So we're going to get into that later. But what happened? How did it spread? Like, it's first spread within Africa? Um, that's a great question. And I don't know the details exactly of how it did, but it began being stewarded by different missions organizations and then eventually by the American Bible Society, who also partners with other Bible societies around the world, um, just as a way to connect 
and, mm -hmm. and distribute because it's been translated into multiple languages. It's been produced in different contextualizations because, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, since it started in Africa, not all stories um, make sense in other contexts if mm -hmm. they're told in a way that applies to those living in certain places in Africa. Okay, and now where is it? Wow, where is it? Where is it not? <laughs> um, seriously, mm -hmm. it, it, is, it is all over the world, um, translated in so many languages and even being used uh, among non-believers to some degree. Well, just as a, to help people in processing and dealing and building community to help mm -hmm. them deal with trauma. Mm -hmm. Because it was designed as a curriculum for the church, yes. to help the church help people. Yes, I love that subtitle. It's called Healing the Wounds of Trauma, How the Church Can Help. And the intention was that that while we often, especially in the West, think everyone needs to see a professional counselor, they're just not available in lots of places. And began to realize that the process of healing begins with telling your story, to have a safe place to be heard, to say out loud what has happened to you, to say out loud how you feel about it and, and your thinking, and that that's the beginning. And so the thought was if we can train people in the church to be safer, that's the way I think about it, that we can help each other to heal mm -hmm. from all types of things. So are you a trained mental health professional? I am not a trained mental health professional. But yet yeah, you have been through this training and you can lead these groups. Yes. Yes. Now that's a little humbling when you say it that way. But when the goal is to be a safe place, not necessarily to have the answers, but the beautiful thing is the curriculum, while it is intended for laymen, it is vetted by mental health professionals. They safeguard, um, they look at the material and they have things they're looking for, and, and so I feel so confident in using the material because it has been vetted. By those who actually really know. So yes. there are parameters. Yes, yes. With what, to keep everyone safe, I guess. Exactly. To keep both the facilitators from getting in over their heads and getting into an area that they could fall into all sorts of issues with, but also for the people that you're working with. With, in the groups. Yes. So they're ground rules that we set. I love one of the motto is probably not the right word, but it's to do no further harm. People, when they're in these groups, um, have already experienced things that are incredibly painful. And so as facilitators, and even with the group, within the group, we want to make sure the group is safe for all those that participate. So we don't want to do anything that causes any further harm to the precious people who are participating. So even though... Um, it is for lay people. You still need to go through some training in order to to use this curriculum. It's not something you just pick up and do. Exactly right. There are we're looking for competencies with the material itself. So there is that the knowledge. But there's also of consideration on whether, as a facilitator, you're safe. Do you understand? Can you can you be safe for those who are wounded? Are you in a healthy place yourself? Now, that doesn't mean you're perfect. No. But it means, are you healthy yourself? And are you sensitive and a good listener? Okay. So, 
how did you come to be involved in this? That's like, okay, so there's a short version and a long version of that story. Um, I'll give a little bit of the long version. So our family experienced something very painful in 2008 that sent me reeling. And I realized that I didn't have a very good theology of suffering and that perhaps my family didn't. And um, so just in my own grief process, just began to seek out things. And so by the time I stumbled upon trauma healing in 2015, my heart was ready to hear it. Um, Also, I had always had a conflict with hearing things people would say, and I would think to myself, I don't think that would work. I wouldn't say that to someone, for example, in Rwanda. There are all these things that I would hear in Christian circles that I just thought, that, that might work here, but that, that doesn't sound true. It doesn't sound universally true. So when I began to hear about trauma healing, it resonated with my soul on those two levels. It sounded true to me, universally true, and personally, it resonated in my heart. And so I began to say, what is this? And had a friend who, it literally felt like she was dropping breadcrumbs. I would ask a question and I would kind of get a cryptic answer. And I finally just researched it myself and headed off to my first training in September 2015. Okay. And how long did that training last? My particular training was a week. It was a week long. Not all are that long, but that that one was. Um, And I enjoyed every minute of it. Well, enjoy might be the wrong word because there were a lot of tears, um, but they were good tears. And so it was a great experience. And what happened after that? What happened in general? What happened in general? (laughs) What happened for you? Well, I went to the training and landed back in Memphis, I want to say on a Saturday, and I flew to the Middle East on that Monday. What? I don't remember it being that fast. Kelly and I are actually really close (laughs) friends. And so, yeah, I don't remember it being that fast. It was that fast. Um, And so it's a little crazy, but I went hoping that I could use some of what I had learned. And I remember we were going to do a, a women's retreat type of thing for mission workers And um, I got an opportunity to share in two small breakout sessions, and I was astounded at the response. Um, I knew I thought it was good, but so many came and said, this is just what I needed. Thank you so much. And and it just, again, encouraged me that this was something much needed in the church. Um, Just a safe place to say, I'm hurting. I've never talked about grief, for example. I didn't. I don't know what this is. Um, yeah, it was. I was blown away. So, what's your current role with my, trauma healing? What is my current role as a master facilitator? I can lead groups, which are called healing groups. And again, that name sometimes is a little off-putting. Yes, we've actually <laughs> had much debate about different names that we could we could use yes. for that. I, Building resilience groups. Uh, what could we? How? What could we call this? Because healing group is off-putting yes. a little bit. I mean, what we do want is to be further along in our healing process. But yeah, healing is kind of a lightning rod in certain places. You have to define what you mean by that. Um, so I can lead healing groups, but I also train 
other individuals who would like to either lead healing groups or to train others. Okay. And so how does, what would you say are some distinctives of this method of dealing with trauma? I think one is that it is participatory, meaning um, we are facilitators. We are not teachers. We don't lecture. We respect the group. We respect their thoughts. So um, that's part of why the training is necessary, that you're trying to keep people on the path, but at the same time, that's through questions, not through telling people what they ought to think, what they ought to feel. Um, But we're asking good questions, and then the group answers their activities. So it's, it's it's a process that uses different parts of your brain. So it's not all just through words and talking. There are other activities that help us process our pain or help us to communicate with each other that are, that are different than just speaking. Okay. Um, the word facilitate is used rather than teach. Yes. So can you give me an example of what that might look like? Oh, from trauma healing? Yeah. Because I, from trauma healing. What's funny is that that actually changed the way I parent too. It's been just the process in learning how to, my, my, one of the things I repeat to myself is ask, don't tell. Ask, don't tell. And so that's what you're trying to do often is that you're, we experience a story together and we ask questions and we let the participants answer those questions and try to make sense of, of what they're thinking and feeling through that process. Okay. So what does a healing group look like in practice? We're kind of starting to touch on that. How big would a group be, a typical group? Typically no larger than 12, 10 to 12. They can be smaller than that, but, um, but you want a safe group where everyone feels the opportunity to be heard. Um, and so, yeah, 10 to 12 is Mm -hmm. a good number. Okay. What, tell me about the demographics or the nationalities, the kinds of people that you've seen participate in groups. Well, that is as varied as God's creation. Um, probably in a healing group, no, no younger than 18. Mm-hmm. Um, because we do want to respect children and the way they deal with things differently, there's actually a different training to work with children mm-hmm. um, who experience trauma. So 18 and up, I have had 18 and up. I have had people in 70s. Every nationality, I shouldn't say every, that's extreme, isn't it? Tell me some of the, the nationalities or people groups you've okay. used this with, or demographics, I guess. Um, sure. I, I've been in Europe. I've been in the Middle East. I've been in South Africa. I've been in India, mm-hmm. um, Nepal. Mm-hmm. So people from all kinds of socioeconomic um, groups, both male and female. Um, Are the groups specifically like female, this, we're doing this to be a safe place, female or just male, or do you have mixed groups? Some of all. It really depends on your group. Um, For example, if you were going to, you had a group of women who had experienced a particular trauma, then it would make sense for them to only be a female group. Um, But there are co-ed groups. There are male-only groups as well. It just really depends. You Again, as a facilitator, you want to be sensitive mm-hmm. to the people that you're working with. Um, but it, 
what's what's been amazing to me i continue to be encouraged that it it works seems like the wrong word it's effective mm-hmm. people find healing they find a way to make sense of what's happened to them and they reconnect to the lord and then and they seek community again mm-hmm. um, sometimes it's the first time they've said certain things out loud um, it gives them a tool to practice so it's not, you know, Vicki, you and I joke, this is not a one and done. Oh, no. It it's is, not like... Don't, don't we wish it could all be <laughs> that way? It's not like you go through the healing room and go, oh, I'm all good. No. You've learned some tools that help you. Um, one being lament, for example, which many people want to ask them, do you have any experience with lament? Um, is this practiced in your church? It is rare that someone raises their hand, and yet it's all through the Psalms. So let's take that as an example of what a healing, what a part of a healing group might look like. So the lament, how do you, how do you engage with the concept of lament? Well, we do the lament at the end of talking about grief, which again is often new to us, to many of us, unless you have experienced a deep loss when you may have been exposed to stages of grief. Sometimes just even being aware that grieving takes time and energy is a new concept. Oh, I may experience a little bit of anger and some, I may, you know, lose all hope for a season and not want to lift up my blinds or get out of bed or take a shower and that that would be normal. So after we talk about grief, um, we have an exercise where we look at a psalm and we go through it bit by bit and we talk about parts of a lament, the main part being, or the key part being to lament a complaint what we're saying to the Lord, why is this, why did this happen? Why is this happening? Why does this keep happening? Or don't you see me? And so we go through a parts, mm-hmm. the parts of the lament that David has written, mm-hmm. and then we give people time to compose their own. So you start out that first section of kind of going through it. Is there, is that working together as your say group of 10? Or do you work with, how does that work? I appreciate you asking that question because it depends on how much vulnerability you're asking for. So some questions we ask are for the whole group. But as you become more vulnerable or you're asking people to be more vulnerable, you go into smaller groups. So when you begin talking about the lament, we have them work in smaller groups, you know, identifying the parts of the lament. Mm -hmm. Then after they write their own lament, they have an opportunity to speak in twos about their lament. They don't have to share. You never share any more than you're comfortable sharing. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can talk about what that was like. How did I feel after I wrote it, while I was writing it? Was this comfortable for me? Did I have trouble with it? But you can share that with one other individual. And I want to say then about this too, that at the very outset of every group, we agree to ground rules. That what is said in the group stays in the group, what is said in small groups stays in that small group, that you don't tell another person's story, that that's theirs, to give them that feeling of that my story is mine to tell when I choose to tell it and to whom I choose to tell it, and Mm -hmm. that that creates a level of safety in the group. So you could go through this entire group, and maybe the most personal thing you might share would be what the experience was like for you. I've I've really, this really touched a part of me that hasn't been open and I was really surprised. 
that that could be the most personal you get. Sure, it could. And some people, often in training, for example, I have, we have to manage that expectation because everybody wants their group to just be vulnerable, but not everybody's in that space yet. And mm -hmm. so what this material does is give us tools. And I remember saying, the message we're trying to say is that you do need to be heard. You need to share your story, but your safe person may not be in this group. But what we hope you're hearing is that you need a safe person. You need someone that you feel like is for you and will hear you and let you be honest mm -hmm. about how you are and where you are. So you've talked about using this with missionaries. Mm. I've also used it with missionaries who've returned from the field mm -hmm. or missionaries who are currently on the field, actually. Mm -hmm. Done it on the field sometimes. I've done it with groups of young women. Um, we together did a group with refugees. Yes. So what are, have you worked with church leaders? What, what are some of the groups you've worked with? Wow. Um, I'm trying to think of trainings that I've done. Um, that's been fascinating. Uh, all types of people, laymen, but also in one country that I worked in, we trained um, mental health professionals. And that was very encouraging for them to say yes. You know, again, since we're not mental health professionals, mm -hmm. that was encouraging. Um, worked with ministry leaders, yes, who were from all over, mm -hmm. um, all over the continent of Africa. And then we're going back mm -hmm. uh, just for them to have tools. Um, we've worked with village women, mm -hmm. giving, again, just a safe place to, to think about um, and who God is when we're suffering and where was he when we were suffering and why do we suffer? And that's an interesting thing too because often other cultures don't struggle with that question as much as we do in the West. Hmm. We do. I think they do eventually. There's that how much more, Lord. Um, but that's interesting too. Here, it's just been all kinds of women, suburban women, refugees. Yeah, I mean, we... Are working with we've worked with groups that are couples and mm -hmm. singles together mm -hmm. from all walks of life mm -hmm. yes I think one of the most amazing things to me is that educational level is not an issue in this right. that it works as effectively with someone who is has had a may not even be able to read in their own language mm -hmm. And it works with a professional in a big city. Yes. That's one of the beauties of it. And it is interesting. You can hear, if you know, you know, there are some, some words that we use, and that's intentional. For example, um, we could use the word hypervigilance, but instead we just say always on alert, jumpy, tense. And so you get the same message. So you don't have to use... All of those words. big words. All that. those big words. But they help you get the concept of, of, oh, yes, I identify with that. That's what that looks like. And it resonates. It mm -hmm. resonates across the board, which is mm -hmm. one of the things that, that also has, for me, shown that this is biblical. Mm -hmm. This is of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So who organizes these groups? 
Well, healing groups can be organized by anyone who is, we call it an apprentice facilitator. You do have to have been through a training, first training, and then you can organize a group. Um, it can be at your house. It can be in your neighborhood. It could be at your church. Mm -hmm. But there is a place where you can look for information, and that's the Trauma Healing Institute website. Um, but as far as how they get organized, some are organized by organizations, and some So this aren't. is not just used by individuals. It's also yes. used within organizations. It is. Yes. It's used within churches, but it doesn't have to be used within a church? Right. Yeah. Okay. And there's neat. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I love it. It's even being used by prison chaplains in prison. Wow. Yeah. It's really neat. Okay. That is... <laughs> Really interesting. We're going to take, uh, we're just going to pause here um, for our next podcast where we're going to go into even some more questions with Kelly. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks for listening today. Feel free to email us with your questions to david at esionline.org. It's always encouraging to hear from our listeners how God is using this podcast. Our ministry is called Equipping Servants International, which exists to equip churches, organizations, and individuals to reach the nations both at home and abroad. Our desire is to see people better equipped when they leave, be able to thrive and be effective on the field, and transition back home well. Our book is called Mission Smart, 15 Critical Questions to Ask Before Launching Overseas, and it's available on Amazon in paperback or Kindle. Remember to subscribe to our podcast to get more episodes as they're published.